Welcome to Deep Dives, Egypt, episode number four, The Intermediate Period. I'm glad you tuned in for our next walk through time. Our last episodes consisted of an analysis into Egyptian writing. Then we visited the consolidation of the gnomes into two distinct kingdoms. Finally, we took a look at the first series of dynasties during the Old Kingdom. Today we dive into a period that lasted from roughly circa 2200 to 2000 BC, which is now called the First Intermediate Period. A Game of Thrones ensued during this time and left a mostly unintelligible shadow over the land of the Nile. It has been said that this was Egypt's first Dark Age, but recently this opinion has been challenged. Was the first intermediate period a time filled with internal chaos, bloody family feuds, and court intrigue? Or was it a time of transition and immense cultural expansion that needed to occur in order for Egypt to enter the Middle Kingdom of circa 2040 to 1782 BC? Conversely to the undisputed authority of the pharaoh during the age of the god king, the rulers of the intermediate period were challenged and opposed by other rulers who played their own hand at leadership. The 7th through the 10th dynasties that are said to have reigned during this period undoubtedly experienced the effects of an impoverished royal treasury and volatile power struggle between the nomarchs who sought to expand their regional power. The dissemination of the monarchical power of the king meant the nobles and the upper-class citizens were able to accentuate their prestige by building tombs for themselves and dedicating more to the worship of the gods. Something else happened during this time that would not only assist in the shrinking of the systematical power of the king, but it would deal a severe blow to his perceivable power in the eyes of his subjects. In order to understand this, we must open the door back to the 5th and 6th dynasties of the Old Kingdom. Inscribed on the tombs and sarcophagi of the Old Kingdom pharaohs were incantations and spells that when recited assisted the soul in the ascension from the physical body up into the heavens where he would take his place among the gods in the field of reeds or Sekhet Aaru. These texts were what are now referred to as the pyramid texts and were traditionally reserved to the kings as to allow for the smoothest transition into the eternal afterlife. Eternal life in Sekhet Aaru, or the fields of reeds, represent a depiction of the ideal life that one could have on earth, where all pain is lost, loved ones are always near, death is not a threat, and one could live in harmony with the Nile while being in the presence of the gods. The goal in life of all Egyptians then was to live by the standards of virtue, in order to make sure that their souls remained as light as a feather when they were judged by Osiris at the Hall of Truth. The following inscription from a 1400 BC burial site describes a picture of the afterlife. May I walk every day unceasing on the banks of my water. May my soul rest on the branches of the trees which I have planted. May I refresh myself in the shadow of my sycamore. Nardo 10. In facing Osiris, the lord of the underworld and judge of all truths, and his 42 judges, the soul would be put under scrutiny. Common questions that an Egyptian may have asked themselves 
during life and especially closer to death would be something like this. Did I live life appreciative of what I had and who I was? Or was I selfish? Was I kind and righteous? Did I live in moderation or an excessive consumption? Did I make good judgments? It was important for the ancient Egyptians to live virtuous lives, and these principles of virtue were laid out by the assertions of the wisdom texts, which again, for much of the earliest eras, were reserved by the upper classes and the royalty. For an example, we will cover one of the most famous of these texts, associated with the prince Hardedith, termed the Wisdom of Tahotep. Do not let your heart become proud because of what you know. Learn from the ignorant as well as the learned man. There are no limits that have been decreed for art, and there is no artist who attains entire excellence. A lovely thought is harder to come by than a jewel. One can find it in the hand of a maid at the grindstone. Do not let your heart become swollen with pride in case you may be humbled. It is true that one may become rich through doing evil, but the power of truth and justice is that they endure, and that a man can say of them, they are a heritage from my father. If you are resolute, acquire a reputation for knowledge and kindliness. Follow the dictates of your heart. Let your face shine during the time that you live. It is the kindliness of a man that is remembered during the years that follow. We can see from this excerpt that the values of the ancient Egyptians shared a common undertone to modern ethics. Among one of the cardinal sins was covetousness, and the ethical Egyptian would steer from feelings of envy and ingratitude. The writings of Tahatep and of others alludes to a wisdom and philosophical mindfulness that we typically attribute to the Greeks. Perhaps the philosophies of ancient Greece and Rome were influenced by these writings. It is important to note that these insightful excerpts were written almost 2,000 years prior to when the first so-called real philosopher, Thales, published his work in the 6th and 7th centuries BC. Now that we have an understanding on the field of reeds that make up the Egyptian afterlife and what it took to be given entry to it, we can return to the point of why the first intermediate period of circa 2182 to 2000 BC diminished the role of the pharaoh from god-king to viceroy of the gods. The decentralization in money and power of the kings initiated the rise of the nomarchs, and along with this increase in regional power, there was a relative increase in the autonomy of the people given the more common of men access to religious material and rites which expanded the religious vigor of the entire kingdom. New forms of art and architecture developed from this freedom, as well as the introduction of novel cultural customs and religious practices. Goods, services, and luxuries became available to more people as pottery and art was mass-produced. At first, the practice of using the coffin texts, which evolved from the exclusive pyramid texts, was limited to the lower nobility and bureaucratic officials, but eventually even the common man was given the ability to perform a proper burial and ensure his passing into the field of reeds. The coffin text consisted of maps and directions to the afterlife, spells and incantations to be recited, and inscriptions of the deeds of a person during life. 
They serve the same purpose as the pyramid texts in being ways to assist the soul in transition, but became available on a much wider basis and would later evolve into the Book of the Dead. The admonitions of Apur, a work written in the Middle Kingdom, reflect on this period in retrospect. Here is a short excerpt. Poor men have become men of wealth. He who cannot afford sandals owns riches. The robber owns riches. The noble is a thief. Gold, lapis lazuli, silver, and turquoise, carnelian, and amethyst are strung on the necks of female slaves while noble women roam the land. This excerpt reflects on the transition from centralization to decentralization of wealth and power in a negative light, coming from the perspective of one probably affected by the changing order because of his position on the side being pushed out. For a long time, scholars used this work to paint the picture of the first intermediate period as a dark and tumultuous time, filled with the chaos of a failing order. But recent reflection brightens the depiction to suggest instead that this was a time of significant cultural expansion and enrichment. The advent of the coffin texts and democratization of the afterlife occurs during the heightening in popularity of the cult of Osiris, who promised eternal life to all who believed in him. During this time, there was an impetus for factions to form around particular gods, making certain gods rise in prominence over others during times when proportionally larger amounts of money centralized in the hands of mortuary priests. An example of this can be noted with the rise of the sun god Ra, during which many of these mortuary priests supported that particular god financially. A consequence of the decentralization, though, can be noted by the increasing division and conflict between Upper and Lower Egypt, which both claim to hold the capital, one being at Heracleopolis and the other at Thebes. Menhotep I of Thebes would initiate the unification of the two Egypts following the vision of Intef, a Theban nomarch who challenged the authorities who presided in Heracleopolis. Menhotep I began the revolution by reconquering the gnomes surrounding Thebes, thus increasing his power. The conflicts between Upper and Lower Egypt would continue throughout the entirety of the First Intermediate Period. The conflict scaled significantly when Wahonk Intef II declared himself king of Upper and Lower Egypt. Following this bold statement, he subjected the ancient city of Abydos to siege and took it. Following this, the Thebans conquered a suit and instituted a rule of Thebes, which was to be bound by strict and sparing delegation and relied on personal loyalty and trust. The first intermediate period would end with the unification of Upper and Lower Egypt once again by the Theban nomarch called Menotep II. This decisive action and defeat of the Heracleopolitan kings would spur Egypt's emergence into the Middle Kingdom which we will cover in our next deep dive. This wraps up our deep dive for today on the time in history called the First Intermediate Period of Egypt. Join us next time for another walk through time. As always, thank you and stay intrigued.